Broadcasting live, this is KMA Talk Radio, life, liberty, and the pursuit of fine cigars. With your hosts, Honest Abe and Adam K. the Brewmeister. Listen to the show anywhere in the free world at kmatalkradio.com. I like to smoke them like the Winston Churchill. Good morning, loyal listeners, libertarians, lovers of the leaf, everyone out there in uh, virtual land. Welcome to another exciting edition of KMA Talk Radio. Stay home and wash your hands edition. Make sure you're sanitizing up. And, uh, well, if you're going out in public in Palm Beach County, you still have to wear your face mask. With me, as always, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Honest Abe. Good morning. Nice. Well, way to face mask up. Yeah. yeah. And of course, hey. And of course, with us as always, uh, Paul. Yeah, the reason we're starting six minutes late. That's that's great product placement. If you have, if you can sell ads on that mask. Bro, we've had these. We've had these like from for three weeks now. But I'm saying, like, I, you know, my company might want to buy a, buy an ad on your mask for when you do right. MA. I'll be happy to sell you an ad, my friend. <laughs> yeah, you completely muffles your microphone, too. Yeah, I know. I'm taking it off. Product placement over. There you go. Yes. It's very sl- short-lived, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, uh, <sighs> everybody ready to get back into the swing of things on Phase 1 in Palm Beach County? Well, yeah. We're back in the swing of things already, right? Uh, kind of. Yeah, we're kind of curbside. I mean, one of our locations is in Port St. Lucie, so there was no – that kind of really opened up mm-hmm. uh, last week. Um, but now now Monday, we can actually open up the retail and the lounge area instead of just being like cash and carry to about 25% capacity. So, so how yeah. do you figure out your capacity? Is that like what the fire department says? No more than yeah. Mm-hmm. people? Yeah, based so on your occupational you license and, and okay. the, what the – what the uh, fire department mandated your seating capacity to be. So is that like what twenty five people? In that? I mean, is it really an issue? Would it really be an issue during the week anyway? Uh, I don't think. I don't think you're going to have an issue as far as a social setting hitting that right. capacity for a while. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Unless you do an event, but I, I can't imagine. Who's doing an event? Back. Nobody's doing yeah, an no event. No one's doing an event. No right. one's doing it. I mean, right. not a normal type of event. But, no. you know, it's one of those things. And, and you got and you got to maintain social distancing. You know, if you come together, you could sit together. I believe as long as you're not in a group of ten or more, right? I mean, you know, it, it's absurd for people, to come, all four people, to come in one car and then tell them they all got to sit six feet apart. <laughs> they, they were just sitting twelve inches apart. You know, but. Uh, if you come together, you can sit together. But otherwise, you got to respect mandatory um, social distancing guidelines. And uh, we're just going to take it week by week moving forward and see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Fun times. Are you worried, Dave? Like for yourself? Like are you are you worried that you might that, that catch catch something? Yeah. Um. You know, you I was a lot in the beginning. Um. But just like anything else in life, how long are you going to worry about something? You know, I mean, 
it, I work in an office. I mean, I do go out on the sales floor, but I don't have to get really, you know, up in anybody's face or whatever. So I'm not really as exposed to people walking in as much as some of my floor staff. But, you know, I believe my kids are eventually going to go back to school. So what's going to happen then? You know, I mean, they're going to get on a bus and go to school and then come home and be exposed to, you know, janitors and teachers. And, you know, <laughs> I don't think there's avoiding this at some point, you know, unless 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 they really have a viable treatment or a vaccine that comes out, you're always just going to be at risk and just got to be careful. 110 percent. Absolutely. All right. Now uh, let's uh, bring in our very special guest, our meet your maker for this week. Uh, we are pleased to welcome uh, Mr. Juan Martinez from Hoya de Nicaragua. Juan, welcome to KMA Talk Radio. Uh, you're on mute. Still Sorry on. about that. No worries. Hey, it's the hey. Hey, Justice, uh, Justice Sotomayor did it this week in a Supreme Court meeting. So hey, you're on good terms. All right. <laughs> Thank you for having me, guys. It's a great pleasure. Absolutely. So, Juan, thank you for being here. How's everything in Nicaragua right now? Um, I'm mixed, mixed, I should say. Uh, right now, I think my family, myself, and, and all of our staff and, 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 and workers are safe, healthy. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, as you guys are relaxing your measures right now, I think we're going up with the curve. Mm -hmm. uh, we've been de we've been delayed a couple of months, uh, mainly because, of course, Nicaragua is a little bit more isolated. Uh, so we have had few cases, official cases up to now, but last week we saw a spike on, on, on some cases and mm -hmm. hospitals starting to get saturated. So, mm. yeah, so, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a little bit complicated. We have mixed feelings because we are trying to do as much as we can from the private side, from companies, uh, families are taking all the measures that they can. Uh, the system obviously has its, its limits, its uh, limitations. Uh, but we're good. We're good at this moment. Uh, thank God uh, we've learned a lot from what has happened in other places in the world. So I think that uh, there's a high degree of consciousness on everybody on the streets, in the companies, uh, to, be, to be careful and to make sure to take this with the level of seriousness that, that requires to avoid big disruptions. You know? mm -hmm. Now, have you guys done anything in the factory or changed up any of the factory operations in any way? at this point because of this situation? Yes, yes, we have. Um, in fact, we we had, so we had Holy Week here in Nicaragua. We, we spent yep. the whole week of, of Easter week uh, on, on vacation. So we decided to extend that a week early to make sure that people had uh, the opportunity to stay home. And then we extended it a week after that. So we spent almost three weeks shut down to avoid uh, uh, people, you know, gathering together too much. And then we implemented, since very early on, all of the companies in the industry got together and we decided to implement uh, very serious uh, health protocols from temperature measurements to every single person that comes into the factory, uh, monitoring daily of the health of all the workers, everybody's wearing mm -hmm. face masks. Uh, we've implemented, you know, cleaning uh, protocols, hand cleaning protocols, uh, access to alcohol, soap. We are uh, implementing social distancing too. So uh, we actually have um, we have actually almost all the workers are about two two meters away from the rest. So uh, let me show you a picture. I don't know if you can see this. Oh picture. wow! But we've actually wow. distance to one puncher and roller uh, on 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 each table. 
Um, and then we also have uh, like two packaging ladies per table to make sure that everybody is distancing. And we have um, uh, uh, delayed, for example, uh, going out time so to make pe to make sure people don't go out for lunch altogether. So we have three hundred workers. Our factory is not that big. Uh, there are bigger companies like Drew Estate that has 2,500 workers in their in their factory. Uh, so we split up the time for people to go out. Uh, we are disinfecting the whole factory every day from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. Um, oh, we're doing so much, man. It's impressive. It's become a, 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 a new logistical operation to make sure that everybody has a face mask. And, and the most important thing, though, is, is the education, because you can do whatever you can at the factory or the, at the workplace. But when people go out in the streets uh, and at home, they need to maintain those measures. So education has been key. We've been educating people with uh, with uh, the required measures, uh, hand washing, hand cleaning, access to masks, alcohol and all that. So I think we've, we've done a, a fairly good job up to now. So thank God we have had no, nobody affected directly. Uh, and hopefully we'll continue that way. Now, so now well, Juan, you, you, you got a lot of people spread out. So that means yeah. you can only have a certain percentage of your workforce uh, on hand. Is you, uh, What percentage of the workforce are you currently using? Well, actually, we haven't laid off anybody and we haven't uh, limited work. We have left at home uh, what we call vulnerable population meaning everybody uh, above 60 years old or with some sort of uh, health concern, health issue. So we have about 25 people that are staying home at least during their month of May, right. April and May. Uh, they're, they're getting their whole paycheck and everything, but they are staying home. Uh, so the, lay, the, the people who are 60, 65 or 70 and that have you know diabetes or heart thing or cancer survivors. Uh, so right now that would be about about 10% of the workforce. But in our case, we have the blessing of uh, of having um, a big space. We have a very big factory. So we're able to use that space uh, properly. Our factory is not like other factories that are cramped. So we're actually using uh, almost 100% of the space. And we actually went outside and do some of the labors that could be done outside. Um, so it's a lot of work being done. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, because we're talking about the factory right now. Um, your family's factory is the oldest factory in Nicaragua. That's correct. Yes. Uh, it was established in 1968. Uh, the oldest factory uh, was uh, founded by two Cubans, Juan Francisco Hermejo and Simon Camacho, that emigrated from Cuba in the 60s after the Cuban Revolution. And they started a planting tobacco, actually, in Esteli. In the beginning of the 1960s and in 1968, they ventured out and started producing uh, their own brand of cigars, Joya de Nicaragua, in Esteli. It was the first factory to start uh, making cigars and exporting it to the U.S. market. Uh, my family was not from the. I'm not. I'm not descendant from the original founders. Actually, the the the, the factory changed hands a couple of times since then. And my right. father, Alejandro Martinez Cuenca, uh, acquired the, the, the or invested in the company in 1992. So I, I didn't grow up under a shade of a tobacco plant in the fifth generation like many of my <laughs> friends. Uh, but uh, we've been in the business. Uh, uh, the company has been in the business since 1968. My family since 1992. My father continues to be the chairman 
uh, of the of the factory of the company, and I'm the executive president. Uh, so we've been we are a new generation of uh, of uh, cigar makers. So that's a great story though, because when your dad got involved with the business, he wasn't originally an investor, right? He was he was some kind no. of consultant. Uh, well, I, he, yes, he was actually uh, uh, an academic in the 1970s, and then in the 80s, he was in government. He was a minister of trade uh, during the 1980s, and when the revolution ended and uh, they were thrown out of power in 1990, he just got went out and, and started doing his own thing. Uh, he was a consultant, uh, and he was approached by the owners of the factory back then that were the workers because of the revolution, the factory has been nationalized first to the hands of the state and then privatized back, uh, but it was handed down to the workers. So there was a cooperative of workers, of 89 workers that were the owners of the company, but it was 1992, the country was a, a war-torn country. Uh, that means that there was no access to finance, no access to resources, they have no access to markets. So uh, they went to him and they asked him for some because he was previously minister, so he, they knew that he had good contacts and good relationships. So uh, they went to him and they asked him, and he started first looking for potential investors. So he went up to Europe, to the United States, to see if people were interested in buying the company. But nobody was interested. So he decided... You're Paul, you're on mute. Oh, I'm sorry. What? Paul, you're going to try again. Paul's trying to ask a question, but can't figure out how to get off of mute. Good job, Paul. Why you, why you, I'm not on mute on the broadcast for some reason. Oh. I'm muted here. Yeah. You, Good job, you, Paul. Why do you think that is, Juan? Why, why do you think people weren't interested in, in investing in the company? Because Juan de Nicaragua had, had a, a pretty storied past and was, was very well known. I mean, it was a, it was a big yeah. name brand. And then I guess in the beginning or late 80s, early 90s, things had, had tailed off a little bit for them as far as name recognition or whatnot. So what, did, did nobody see the potential in bringing back this this, uh, this story brand? Well, I, I, I think and I'll, I'll respond with an anecdote. So in 1992, my father flew to Switzerland with one of the workers to introduce the, the investment opportunity to the Danemans. Uh, the Danemans is an old, uh, uh, very big uh, tobacco family in, uh, I think it was Belgium. I'm not sure if it's Belgium, Germany, or Switzerland, one of the European countries. Okay. And, they, and they flew back together to Nicaragua. And when driving to Esteli, there was a roadblock. Uh, and people were shooting guns and they were fighting because it was post-Civil War Nicaragua. Right. So what you know today of Nicaragua, even though we've had a couple of rough years in the past two years, but if you're driven to Esteli uh, from Managua, you remember a beautiful, you know, nice road going up the mountains. That didn't exist by then. Uh, it was basically a lawless, a lawless country in 1992, 1993. In fact, in 1993, Esteli was uh, hijacked by a guerrilla group. Uh, so Nicaragua was very complicated politically. Imagine um, the Valley of Jalapa, where we currently have our tobacco plantations and which is basically known as the most important tobacco growing region in the country, back then was a minefield. So the war had happened in northern Nicaragua, in the borders between Nicaragua and Honduras. So you had pretty much all of the productive land was actually 
field, uh, fields of mines uh, be- because the, the war was happening between the contra-revolutionaries and the Sandinista government and the fighting occurred in this region. So it was a very convoluted moment in the history of Nicaragua. So it wasn't much uh, about the potential or the lack of potential. It was more about the, the country conditions and the, the, the situation that uh, we had at that time. So people didn't want to invest in a business when, when all this was going on in, in Nicaragua. Yeah. You had no security. You know, uh, the banking system was just starting up in 1992. We had the first bank in a decade. Uh, so it was a complicated moment in the history of Nicaragua. Uh, but that changed quickly. By 1994, uh, new factories were established. Padron came back, for example, to Nicaragua because they had established in Esteli in 1972. They were, after the, re- the revolution, they, they went out. And Plasencia came back uh, at the beginning of the 1990s. So by 1996, you had in Nicaragua more than 60 cigar factories. So the companies that you know today very well, like Perdomo, like Drew Estate, like uh, Oliva, uh, like uh, Toranio back then, uh, many of the well-known Rocky Patel and all of these well-known were, you know, were established during this period of time yeah. immediately after. Yeah, yeah Padron, so Padron, father, Padron had two factories going on for a while. They had a Honduran yeah. factory. And, and when you were buy their cigars in the U.S., you'd have some boxes with a Honduran country stamp and then some boxes with a... Because they didn't close the factory down right away after things got settled. And they moved back to Nicaragua. They didn't close down the Honduran factory right away. So there was a period of a couple of years there where you could be getting, it was all the same tobacco. It was just being manufactured in Honduras. It wasn't any difference in the blend. It's just the country of origin where it was getting imported from. So you could get Honduran country stamped box padrones and you can get Nicaraguan stamped box padrones. You know, a lot of people don't know it. I don't know if anybody would really still have a, Honduran labeled box of uh, Padron cigars, but I guess that would be pretty cool. Yeah. Right? If well, we had a similar. Hey, throw them out there. Uh, yeah. We had, we, we had a similar but more complicated experience because uh, during the the factory continued operating, so they continued making cigars. I think we're smoking the same cigar. Look at that. Yes, we are. Yeah. Smoking there the exact same cigar. Nice. So, yes. Sorry, my friend. Yeah. Uh, so. We basically had one blend that was known during the 1970s in the United States, the original Hoya Nicaragua. After the revolution, uh, we had an economic embargo against Nicaragua, so the country could not export cigars or any other product to the United States. Uh, that meant that the cigars had to be sold in other places in Europe and Latin America. Uh, so the brand was actually owned by someone else, and they started producing Hoya, but made in Honduras. So you could actually still find Hoya, the Nicaragua, but made in Honduras. Uh, we have a few boxes of those uh, at the factory. And then after the revolution ended, we came back to the United States where my father took over the company with a different blend because, yeah, you know, now you have different tobaccos, different process. Uh, back then it was also a complicated situation. So historically, Hoya and Nicaragua as their, uh, the original cigar has had three different blends of its over its history. So if you go over to some history books on cigars, like the Ultimate Cigar Book by Richard Carlton or whatever, uh, you'll find some criticisms against the brand because of the change in the blend. But the blend changes because the manufacturing changed and because the tobacco changed and because history changed, you know? So I think during the 1980s and 1990s was a, was a time of... of, of uh, very complicated, but also establishing very well the, the position of the brands that nowadays are existing. So 
So we, for example, we had, because we couldn't sell, or the company couldn't sell in the United States, they had to sell in the Soviet Union, Germany, uh, Poland, Ukraine. So we had right now a very good market share in those countries because historically we were allowed. Uh, ironically, we were selling cigars as a country and they would pay, be paying back, uh, to Nicaragua with, uh, food, with oil and with weapons to finance the, uh, the civil war that was happening back then. So cigars have, you know, an interesting relationship there with, uh, uh, with the, the drama and the history of the country. So how many cigars are you guys currently producing in the factory, uh, a year or, or even per month? We produce roughly uh, 20,000 cigars per day. Wow. Uh, right, right now, we are below that. We're actually cut, and this goes back to Abe's original question regarding the capacity. Mm-hmm. We haven't cut people, but we do, we have had to cut production because uh, we need to, for people to get up, come a little bit later and go out later. And also because of the uncertainty in the marketplace, we're avoiding to get up, fed up with inventories. Uh, so we've cut down from 20,000 to 15,000 cigars per day. Uh, at least at this moment in, in May. So what, at what point do you get involved? So your, your dad invests in the company. He, uh, at the time, I mean, you're, you're young. I mean, you're not, were you in high school or junior high at the time when your dad buys the company? I have, well, I mean, it's 1992. So, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, junior high. Well, so I don't know. Started, because, because it seems like what, what, what what I read about you is that you kind of slowly, you know, you always had a hand in what was going on. You were always helping out in, in your father's business, and then slowly but surely, you started to, uh, you started hey, to Paul, kind of make it a full time. Yeah. Your your audio is coming through in that robotic sound. It sounds good to us in here, but on Facebook, it's coming out terrible. Okay. Well, I'll, yes. I'll let you ask that question then. Well, that was a long question. I was trying. <laughs> I was I, how, how, one, how one started in the business. Well, I mean, look. I mean, look. First off, his dad's an amazing. Is, I mean, we've had his dad on the show, and Doctor Quinka is has an amazing story. Extreme activist and, and involved in Nicaragua, and so you know, I'm always interested because I I I got in my family's business for about four years and then left, right? Because you know, it's every every child looks at their family's business and. Either some are really attracted to it and some are not. I really wasn't really attracted to my original family's business. Um, was, you know, Paul wanted to know at what point said you were active early on. So your dad takes over the company when you're in junior high. Did you feel this was going to be something for you or it just slowly developed over time? Uh, I felt the complete opposite. I felt like you. I thought I had uh, my expectation was nothing to do with the family business. In fact, uh, I remember when I was young that uh, when my father got into the business, he would travel around the country buying tobacco, and he would get into growing uh, tobacco in, in, in different places, in, in volcanoes to try new seeds, new varieties. Uh, and he would be constantly meeting, of course, smoking, and I would be visiting the factory with him. Uh, you know, I grew up, I, you know, I was a teenager, and then I went to, to university, I studied economics, and... I wanted to do my own thing. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to save the world in my own way. I wanted to do my own, my own what, boss. What, what were you thinking about at the time? Do I mean, we all, we all think about what we might want to do. What were you thinking? Where did you see yourself eventually possibly ending up? 
you know, at that time for me, I was studying economics and so I saw myself working very, you know, this top notch economist trying to bring new ideas and solve this, the poverty situation in Nicaragua. Uh, and I started doing a lot of consulting work at that, at that time, desk job basically. And I got fed up and, uh, and then I started slowly getting into supporting my father because he was alone. He got into politics in 2001. And he sort of wasted a lot of, no, he, he I won't say wasted. He invested <laughs> a lot of his time and money in, in, in a political campaign that, that turned really, really bad. Uh, so all of the time that he's spending in politics, it was time that he couldn't spend in the company. Uh, and uh, I decided to start helping him out in small things. Uh, and eventually, one of my first meetings that I had with him was, the first conversation he had with real estate, Jonathan Drew. Adam, mute your, mute your mic, guys. If you're going to be outside and, and stuff, be conscious. It's got to be your wind. Your mic's picking up your wind. I can see your hair blowing all over the place. There you go. Sorry. Sorry, Juan. Go ahead. No worries, man. So I remember uh, this first meeting with Steve Saka and Jonathan Drew at the factory uh, negotiating the, the possibility of distribution of Hoya in Nicaragua. And, um, and because, and because at, at that time, SAG, which is Casada Cigars right now, yeah. primarily handled the distribution of, of the brand. Mm -hmm. Was handling it. Correct. My father never got into the distribution directly. So uh, when he acquired the company, uh, he acquired back the brand that was owned by by a different company, and then he sort of established alliances and relationship with friends uh, and colleagues for the distribution. He never got into that. So unlike many of the fact of the companies that you know today that actually began as brand owners and distributions and then set up their factories, uh, we started as a factory and never set up a formal distribution. So with Drew Estate, uh, that changed in a way because we became more than partners. We continue to do so. But that was actually my first meeting, and I found it quite interesting. And I supported my father through that process and establishing the distribution with Drew Estate developing new product, and I slowly, slowly, slowly got to, you know, engage with people, meet the workers, meet the clients, meet the customers all over the world, and suddenly realized that he had employed at that time about 350 people. Uh, he was selling in about 25 countries in the world, and he was actually building a brand that you could tell a beautiful story to everywhere in the world, and uh, I saw him really gathering much more or, or having much more impact in the cigar business than what he was having in the politics, in politics. And that surprised me a lot because back then it was the S-ship uh, issue in the United States. So he was very involved in the legal uh, and, and, and tributary thing. Is that me or you? I think it's Adam. No, somebody, somebody's getting background sound. All right, we're, we're good now. Sorry, Juan. Te technical difficulties of a Zoom broadcast. Always happens, always happens. Yeah. Uh, he was very active in the whole S-ship thing in 2007 and 2008. I don't remember what year it was. So I saw him having this much more impact and being much more impactful, not only for the community, but also for the country. And he was the first person to com to obtain the free trade zone status for a cigar factory uh, outside of the official regimes, the first cigar factory to obtain a free trade zone status in Nicaragua was Hoya in Nicaragua through his work. And that made, made it possible for the Nicaraguan cigar industry to explode. 
because everybody became free trade zones. So he did a lot of this work and that sort of inspired me and convinced me that anything that I could do by myself would be less than what I could do with this talented group of people uh, working with him and especially bringing the message of our family, of our culture, of our country to the world through this product. And that, that, that for me was fantastic. And I slowly fell in love, started, you know, being more active in the commercial part, in, in product development, in, in a relationship with, uh, with clients and customers all over the world. And I got hooked. And, uh, 2007, I was saying that I had nothing to do with the company. Now I'm up to here with the company and, uh, nowhere, nowhere else to go. I have to give credit though to Jonathan Drew that in 2007, he sat me, he called me. No, 2009, he summoned me and he called me and said, you have to get full in and support your dad. And um, he sort of convinced me, he pushed me off the ledge to, to be more active in the in the business. Do you regret that conversation completely? <laughs> no. No, I regret because Jonathan likes to bring things up uh, and <laughs> rub, them in, 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 rub, rub it in your face. So he's always constantly rubbing it in my face that he's the one responsible of me being here. But I don't mind. I don't mind. I love that doesn't you. sound like Jonathan at all. No, not not whatsoever. Jonathan Jonathan is the sole reason why we have an e-commerce platform. That's a valid point too. Yeah, I mean, Jonathan was actually good at steering a lot of people. Whether it be, I mean, yeah. I was not, I was on the um, the dojo big extravaganza for a little bit at the end of the show last night, and. Um, you know, whether it be guys like Eric Gutterman or social media, John always was a positive force in steering people in a certain direction. We sat in the back of my office. Oh, man, I can't tell you. I mean, months he would beat it in my head that I would have to get online. And I just refused to because I couldn't I didn't understand it. I was a small company. I had no resources. And it, I was so late in the game. You know, there was already all, all the big companies, and whatever. I said, what kind of impact am I ever going to possibly have? And, uh, <laughs> and, 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 well, I mean, yeah, but yeah, Jonathan, Jonathan convinced me of doing that. So we have that in common, Juan. Yeah, the, the impact of Jonathan Drew. He's so, a, he's a, he's an interesting character, man. He's beyond what everybody sees of him publicly in all of the events and all the, you know, long lines for, to meet and greet him. He's actually, uh, other than a great guy for me, he's also been very, very, um, pioneer in many ways and i know many experts like yours that he has pushed people to be better or even the media guys i know a few media guys who are who they are today thanks to the support of, of jonathan and drew state uh us for example the same thing uh and part of the relationship or the success of the relationship precisely has been that we work so well together that we see each other as a yin and yang you know we're completely opposite as companies family-wise we're completely opposite but that precisely what has given us balance in the relationship uh, and that has worked very very well a lot of the changes and improvements that we've done have been uh, you know inspired in a way by, by by Jonathan and we hope that we have given them something similar too I, I have to be honest with you I, I have to be honest and just say at the time I heard of the agreement between um, your family's company and Drew Estate I was flabbergasted right I mean I really was because look there's been very few symbiotic relationships that have stood the set of sets that have stood the, the test of time as far as distribution, right? You have Fuente and JC Newman, right? Uh, you have La Aurora and Miami Cigar, right? And 
most of them bounce around because it's very it's a very hard balance in a relationship to work out. And forget about it when you're when you're so similar. These were so extreme different personalities. You, know, you have Dr. Alejandro Cuenca, who's you know politician, doctor, and then you have you know Drew Estate with their graffiti and fry game, and you know just completely different entities. And I have to say, it's been an amazing thing to watch over the years, how the whole Hoya brand, they, they, as, as an outsider looking in, forget that I'm in the industry, but as an outsider looking in, um, and, and, and actually even better, as someone in the industry and sees how the, the inner workings go as far as when they come and try to do promotions and sell, Drew Estate, I can say honestly, never treated Hoya de Nicaragua as a brand that wasn't one of theirs, which tends to happen when you have distribution deals, right? Um, they, they really adopted the brand as, and it was, would be represented with them as, as if it was a, a brand that they own and was under their flagship. So kudos to them and uh, kudos to your dad for having the foresight to know that would be an amazing uh, partnership. You know, that it was, you're not the only one, actually. There are, there are many, many people in the industry that bet against that relationship. There's a funny story, <laughs> there is a funny story that I, I won't give our names, but you'll, you'll figure it out, that there was uh, this important editor of an important magazine. In the industry. <laughs> my, my father and Jonathan fly to Manhattan, uh, New York City, to introduce the new relationship and give them the, you know, the, the, the primicia, no? the first news, and they sit in this conference room. I wasn't there. This is told by my, by, by my father and Jonathan. And basically the guys say, so I'll bet you a dinner in the best restaurant in New York City that next year you'll be sitting here with someone else. That's what they tell my father. And this is where they are. They haven't officially announced their relationship. Uh, so here we are. You know, this is 13 years later since we began. And that precisely this symbiotic relationship. I think my father is, is although you see him very, uh, you know, very traditional, very classic, very politician, as you, as you say, he gets very excited about newness, about adventure, and he tries to break the mold once in a while. And Jonathan has represented that for him. They change the break, and that has excited them since day one, I think. Uh, and the opposite for Jonathan is true. My father has represented for him a sort of balance and advisorship and, 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 and compliment that Jonathan, uh, of course, uh, doesn't necessarily have at hand. And I think that's part of the compliment that has worked very, very well. Uh, and as I said, we see ourselves more than family. And that sentiment permeates not only from Jonathan, but from Jonathan to the bottom, you know, from, from the guys at the warehouse. They don't differentiate the product that they handle to the sales force, to their managers, to the executive team, even with the new executives. You know, now uh, we went through Steve as CEO, then we went through Selucci, and now we have Glenn Wolfson. And all of them has have treated us with the respect, with the love, and, and with the support that, that, that we established since day one. And we're very thankful for that. Well, it, you buried the lead there, though. Did your dad and Jonathan cash in on the dinner? <laughs> no? They didn't. So, so basically, a certain person in New York yeah. still owes your dad and Jonathan a dinner. Yeah, exactly. They still owe. <laughs> that, that's a different. That's a different conversation than we'll have another. <laughs> Absolutely, I, I, I'm sure he'll be happy to pay up. I'm sure if Adam's you know who getting, that is. Adam's getting excited. <laughs> well, he hears he hears dinner. Food. He hears food and drama. He's getting excited. But absolutely. 
But once again, honestly, kudos to the intelligence. Now, I just want you to picture this, right? You're sitting at a table with someone who's pretty, pretty much has been part of the engineering of the landscape of this industry, and he's telling your dad, a year from now, you'll be sitting here with someone else, and yet your dad still had the fortitude to say, this is the people I want to work with. I mean, that, that just says a lot right there, as far as I'm concerned. It does, it, 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 and, and my, my father has had a lot of, of, of hindsight, too, because uh, in, in Perseverance, immediately after we started the distribution, the financial crisis hits in 2008, 2009. So imagine, this is the first break. We were going up uh, in the second cycle of growth of the industry, and then we have the first financial crisis. It wasn't easy, you know. It wasn't easy to have made a big change, uh, you know, the, the way the products uh, were handled, uh, in the transition by the previous distributor wasn't necessary, well, wasn't necessarily the best way. Uh, so we had a, a complicated situation and they, they kept there, they maintained, uh, they, you know, it's been, it doesn't have, it hasn't been smooth all the way, like no marriage has been smooth since the beginning. Uh, but, Amen. uh, here we are. <laughs> here we are. When you start having kids, man, you know, when you start going, you know, especially <laughs> pandemic times. Crazy. How involved is your dad in the day to day now? Is is, I mean, he he's got to be getting up there in age, I'm assuming. So is is he still does he still go into the office every day with you, or or is it is it more you're doing the day to day stuff? I do most of the day to day stuff, but just to give you an idea of how things change, mm -hmm. just in this moment in the in the you know pandemic situation, COVID thing. He's been listening in and dropping in on every single executive call and operational meeting we've had. You know, this has changed. He never used Zoom or, or Hangouts. Now he's sitting in his, you know, smoking his cigar in his house and he just drops in. So who's meeting today? He just sent me the link and he drops in and he participates in, in every decision that we're making from the smallest one, how to take care of, you know, the families of the workers that might be affected to the larger ones. And it's a combination of, of wanting to be in touch with, the, with what's happening with the people but also being uh, conscious that it's we're we're in a very uncertain times uh, for the industry. So we made to we need to make smart decisions, and we have the blessing of having him uh, very healthy and very strong uh, with a lot of experience. He has gone through similar well not similar stuff but complicated situations in the industry for the for the past thirty years. So we get a lot of his input right now. He's been very active, more active than I would say the last couple of years. He has relied on us to do the, the more today, day to day. I think he's on top of everything that has to do with finance and the legal part. Uh, he's the one that signs and receives the checks, obviously. Uh, but on the operational part, I'm more involved. Uh, he's always smoking a lot, evaluating cigars, developing new stuff, but he's no longer in the, in the operational part as much as I am. But uh, so speaking of the cigars and him smoking cigars, uh, I think Phil would be remiss if we did not touch on the cigar that you and Abe are currently smoking, not to mention which is the box that is sitting behind you that I'm sure you very distinctly decided to post there about the numero uno. Uh, I'm sure that was not a product placement whatsoever. No, it is not, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. But uh, this is a very special cigar that you guys have come out with uh last year and you know it was highly rated in the dojo we, we mentioned earlier and i mean it's a very special cigar for your family i mean give the, the listeners some background on that well this is this is the type of cigar that gives me the opportunity to talk about certain realities of the industry you know uh, 
we invest we invest a lot uh, generally as, as cigar makers and and in trying to create this you know magnificent complex diverse blends uh, that change the game in the industry once more. Uh, so we're constantly being you know very thorough in the way we blend our cigars. This cigar, in fact, was not thought out at all. It was a cigar, and let me give you a, a background on the story of this. So. Hoya Nicaragua has always been considered the official cigar of the of Nicaragua because it's the, the most Nicaraguan cigar in the sense that we are 100% a Nicaraguan company or operated, owned, and managed, and we've been around forever. So since since my father actually took over the company, the government of Nicaragua has constantly reached out to us and asked for gifts for presents. So every time there's a delegation coming out from you know some foreign country or any time that uh, someone is traveling to another country, they bring gifts from the country, be it coffee, chocolate, whatever, and they always bring cigars. So we've always gifted them whatever we had at hand. So they call us and say, so we have a, a committee going to China. We need uh, five boxes of cigars with the names of the ambassador or whoever, you know. So we put the names of the, of the, of the, uh, of the person on the cellophane and we give them the boxes. And the problem was always, what do we give these people? So how, what, what type of cigar do we give them? We don't know who they are. We don't know if they smoke. Or we don't know if they smoke at all or what they smoke. Uh, at some point, they were, we were giving out Antaños, Antaños Darcorojo, because that's what we had at stock. So they, they would be traveling out with these boxes of full-bodied cigars, 20 box, 20 count cigar, you know, 10 boxes, and they would be handing me out, which was great. But it wasn't respectful for the recipient because you didn't know what, what it smoked. So we decided uh, in, I think it was 2013, when this really got aggressive, to first of all be more efficient. So we decided to design a new packaging. It was a six-count box of cigars. And we decided to reblend a cigar exclusively for them. Uh, a, a cigar that would be smoked and enjoyed by someone who had never smoked a cigar but would appreciate it. But also a cigar that could compete with the cigars that these people, let's say the Russian vice president, was already smoking. And so we designed this beautiful uh, box, wooden box with the Nicaraguan emblem, country emblem. And we put this uh, white, blue, gold band, which is symbolic of the Nicaraguan flag, with the emblem. And this was the official uh, present from the Nicaraguan government to, to, the, to the dignitaries. And we were doing this for many, many years. So in 2017, uh, Drew Estate comes and asks us to do a event special cigar. Uh, one cigar that you could only find at the events that we were doing together. So we decided to, you know, we already had this production on stock. Let's use this. It's a nice emblem. It's a nice uh, logo. We could use it and tell the story of how, the, how exclusive the cigar is. And that's how we do it. So 2017, the cigar was gifted as a... Uh, event exclusive cigar by Hoya Nicaragua. Uh, no, 2018 was this. And eventually it got into the hands of some bloggers, some media, uh, and some retailers. And we started getting requests. I want that cigar. No, we don't, we don't sell that cigar. It's not, you know, it's not for sale. It's something that we do for these people. And eventually it got picked up by Half Wheel and they gave it number one cigar of 2018 which was a complete surprise and which a bummer because the cigar was not for sale. So you get number one cigar and you can't sell it. Uh, so immediately we went out and we designed, we redesigned the packaging and we made the box and we launched it into the marketplace. 
Uh, and it got a year later, number one cigar of the year by Cigar Dojo. So the interesting part of this is that as I started saying that we generally invest a lot of time and dedication in blending and trying to figure out the next big exciting thing. This is a very simple blend. This is a blend that was not thought out for you guys or for the cigar expert or for Eric Sensei or for Charlie Minato and Halfwheel. It was a cigar that was thought for as a person that wasn't a smoker at all. Uh, so it's a very relatively simple blend. It's a Connecticut shade with Nicaraguan fillers, uh, but it's a beautiful cigar. It's been tremendously successful. Uh, so the, 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 uh, the moraleja, no, the, 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 the point of the story is that, uh, sometimes what we don't expect to be successful ends up being very successful. And what we think it's going to be super successful fails miserably, man. I think that's the uh, overwhelming arc of the cigar industry, right? Oh, it's in a nutshell. Yeah. yeah, it's a very common theme <laughs> yeah. in the industry. I've been on the other side of that where I've seen something. I said, oh, this is going to be a big hit. Dead. You know, or you saw something. It's like, oh, man, no one's going to buy that. And it goes gangbusters. But, you know, after hearing that story, I'm curious. Are you still giving this cigar out to dignitaries and diplomats and using these as gifts for the country of uh, Nicaragua? No, actually, 2018 was a breaking point for us with the relationship with the government, so we haven't gifted any cigars to them since mm. since then. Fortunately, uh, you know, you probably are aware of a political situation in Nicaragua, so we've stopped that uh, giving out. Uh, we do still have uh, some of those boxes and everything, but we, at this moment, we're not. We're focusing on selling the cigar. Can uh, you can you tell any of our listeners about that political situation and what's going on? Some of them may not be up to speed. Yeah, is it getting better? Sure. Uh, right now, it's stable in the sense that at least, uh, you know, people are not being hurt or killed in the streets as in 2018. So 2018, we had a uprising, a social uprising, because the government that has been in place uh, for since 2016 uh, has been slowly but surely uh, deinstitutionalizing the country, meaning that some of the, you know, they've been implementing some policies that go against the Constitution. For example, the president that was the president during the 1980s um, could only be president in Nicaragua for two terms, non-consecutively. So he won again in 2006 fairly, uh, and then they sort of reinterpreted the Constitution to make him basically electable for life. So now he's on his fourth term. In the last election in 2016, he actually took as a running mate his wife, uh, actually inspiring House of Cards type of thing. Uh, so the vice president is his wife, which goes against many, many articles in the Constitution. And they've slowly deinstitutionalized the, con- the, 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 the government is run by a party. It's just basically one party. So that combined with other issues, uh, and that was working fine in the sense that Nicaragua was growing, was working, everybody was working well in 2018, when they changed uh, unilaterally the health, the, the social security system. Uh, so basically they reduced the pensions that people were receiving uh, and they, you know, increased the, the time that you needed to, to pay uh, social security. And uh, the when this happened, the people that were more affected were the elderly, the people that, you know, were receiving their pensions, and their pensions suddenly were cut in half. So they went out in the street to protest, and the elderly, and we're talking about people older than 70, you know, 70, 80 years old, they were actually uh, hurt. They were actually kicked. Uh, 
by the police. They were thrown into jail. And when people saw this, especially students, university students, they, they didn't accept it. So they got really yeah. pissed off and they started and all hell broke loose, man. April 2018, uh, May 2018 was a, a, a very strong social political disruption. Uh, there was a lot of fighting in the streets, so many people got hurt, many people got uh, imprisoned, and many people died, unfortunately. Uh, I think it was close to 370 people that were killed during those times fighting in the streets. Uh, and and with, uh, as a result of that, there's a great polarization in the country, of course, political polarization. And uh, the government has sort of uh, reestablished itself almost like a dictatorial regime in which uh, many liberties in the countries have been uh, cut. So, for example, there's no liberty to uh, mobilize or protest. You cannot go in the streets to, you know, if you want to protest against the way the government is handling the pandemic or whatever. You automatically are thrown into jail uh, without a reason. So there are many liberties that that, that uh, the opposition here has been being uh, severely affected. So that was sort of a breaking point in the way uh, the U.S. has sanctioned uh, many uh, politicians from the government. The United, the, the European Union, Canada, the U.K. have sanctioned. There have been many uh, human rights violations uh, for political prisoners. And so we're waiting for 2021 when it's supposed to we are supposed to have uh, elections. Uh, hopefully free, fair, and uh, supervised elections that allow this country to regain its uh, institutional order. I think everybody's waiting for 2021 at this point. So, yeah. So just curious. But after the zombies come. <laughs> yes, absolutely, yes. So, so just curious, and Paul, I just want to let you know from what I can tell, your audio is fixed, so uh, that's what I'm reading. So do you actually think there'll be a free election or a real election? Or, I mean, do you, do you see any... Because, look, you see this in movies, and you've seen it happen in the real world. Forget movies, right? You know, these guys don't like to give up power. Do you really think right. there's Once any way? Have... Yeah, do you really think there's any way that they, they're they going to give up that office? This is the, the situation on which books are written, and, you know, yeah. academics, and uh, uh, yeah. health, uh, uh, Game theory, you know, studies are made because it's a very complicated position. So the government, uh, if they want to continue operational, if they, for example, they, this is a very poor country. We don't have a lot of resources internally, especially today, because we rely a lot on exports. Right now, the global markets are shut down, basically. Uh, so they're going to need money. And to get access to money, they need to go to banks. They need to go to the World Bank. They need to go to the IMF. Uh, they need to access the international finance system, but they cannot because they're sanctioned because of human rights violations. So they need, and one of the requirements is to hold free, open, and fair elections. Uh, if they do that, they very likely lose the election. And obviously, that's going to be a problem for them. They still hold about 30% of the population's uh, will to vote. 30%, about a third of the population is of that party. Uh, I would say about 50% is uh, oppo- opposition, and I would say the rest is ambivalent. Uh, so if they go to free elections, open elections, they lose. And losing for them, of course, after they've been in power for 14 years, you know what that means. If they don't go to free elections, and if they held, held, hold elections and they are not free and they are not open and they are not supervised, then nobody's going to believe them. 
and that can cause one the international community to even uh, close up more, which obviously affects them. Uh, and secondly, that would imply more social pressure inside that could eventually turn ugly. So whatever way you go, it's a complicated decision that they have to make. Uh, we hope that the international pressure, especially in these circumstances, is so strong that they are forced to have that election and they are forced to play fair. Uh, but as you say, you know, you see it in the movies. Just to give you an idea of what happens to them, the president's wife, the vice president, their children, and their most important uh, close advisors and supporters are sanctioned by the Magnitsky Act, this, you know, this act that the United States has that um, was de designed by U.S. congressmen to sanction Russian uh, money launders and all that. Uh, they're sanctioned, basically, that means that they have no legal persona outside of Nicaragua. They have no finance, they don't have no credit cards, they have no bank accounts, they have nothing. Their signature is not valid. So it's a very complicated situation they are they're at, and um, they have to choose. And I, hopefully, they choose the the good, the the safe, and the and the peace and the peaceful thing, which is just fair, uh, fair, open election. Now that doesn't mean that the opposition doesn't have a lot of work to do. They have a big homework that is getting their shit together. I apologize, my and uh, getting their shit together, getting their house in order, and having a. Ha having a, a strong position to bargain with the government and be able to bring a legitimate and workable, functional alternative, not only for themselves as the opposition, but for the, the people who are in the government or are in the states that should feel comfortable allowing a different party to come into power. So it's a, it's a complicated situation that we are at, at right now. And no. it's only with a cherry on top with the pandemic. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you're, you're figuring the pandemic, hopefully it'll be through by the time that day rolls around. But I mean, I, I, I mean, you, you born and raised, you live in Nicaragua. I mean, are, are you fearful for what may happen during that time? Because it could get very ugly. Um, we were fearful in 2018, to be fair. I, yeah, I, I would imagine. Uh, just to give you an idea of how we were at, uh, there were. You have to be home at 4 p.m. It was like uh, not uh, um, talking martial, law. martial, martial law. law, basically. Martial law. Our auto-imposed yeah. curfew. Uh, there was fighting. I was sitting at home smoking a cigar in my backyard, and I would hear gunshots every single night uh, in the streets. It was like a lawless country back then. And I, then we, I really feared for, 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 for the safety of my family. I just had a newborn. She was four months old. So it was it was very, very complicated. Moving forward, I think that uh, there is enough smart people and educated people and, and uh, people with a lot of strong will to make things work better, and we've learned a lot. So I'm not as fearful in terms of the security as I am in terms of the functionality of the country once we go to the to the to the uh, to the government to the elections and what happens afterwards. You know, it could get ugly, but I'm I'm hopeful and I I'm. I, I trust that there are a lot of people who are willing to even, you know, sacrifice themselves to do a great job in making sure that this country does not repeat the cycle of history. Just, just know, every 30 years, Nicaragua goes through a cycle of, of violence and, and conflict like this. Every 30 years is registered by the book. And since its independence in 1821, 
Nicaragua ha, no generation in Nicaragua has been spared violence or bloodshed. Wow. In six and a half generations since 1821. So, you know, we've, we've reached a breaking point culturally and say we cannot continue like this. Otherwise, we'll be extinct in the next cycle. Uh, so I know a lot of people, uh, smart people who are taking a lead in, in, in making sure that the, the change that happens is, is sustainable to, to the, to the future. Right now, though, the concern is actually that we can withstand the hit of the, of the crisis. The first stage of the crisis being the health crisis and the second stage being the economic impact of the crisis globally. Uh, and it, for an industry like ours, of course, uh, we depend a lot on uh, the foreign markets. Uh, right now, most of our markets have been shut down. They're slowly reopening. Business hasn't been that bad because a lot of people are smoking online, or buying online and smoking. Some people are actually smoking more because they have more time. But we don't know how that's going to happen when, you know, people go without to work or they don't have any work or job. So it's a challenge. I think it's uh, unprecedented times in many, many ways. It's extremely hard right now to predict the future landscape. It, it, you don't know what to really expect as far as, you know, what the climate of anything is going to be. And, and extremely unfortunate for the people in Nicaragua because you you have a health climate that you got to deal with. You're going to have an economic climate you're going to deal with. And you're going to have a political climate you're going to have to deal with in, in the very near future. So, yeah, it's 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 definitely something that everybody wants to keep their eye on. Yeah, and we, you know, it's we 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 have the benefit of being a very resilient people, Nicaraguans. Of course, this is not the first time we we go through challenges, and and we try to stay strong and stay positive. And Nicaraguans are very good at that. They are, we we are we are very positive in the face of very hard adversity. And that's a, that's a, you know, a, a tribute to the people, uh, especially in the streets. Uh, the poorest and the most vulnerable people are the ones that always have their head high and their smile on their face. Uh, just to give you an idea on the, on the, give you a little bit of context on the challenge. We have like the official statistics on the, on the health situation right now. Nobody believes them apparently because they only registered 12 cases. But when you go to the medical system, you go to the hospitals, uh, and you go to the reports from doctors, you have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cases. And they're trying to avoid affecting the economy by making people scared and concerned about the health situation. So uh, last week, the president of Nicaragua came out on public television saying that this stay-at-home campaign was crazy. That was made up from the right, the capitalists that are trying to overthrow the government because staying at home was crazy. So nobody should stay at home. Oh wow! <laughs> that, that I'm not making that up. That's I mean, actually. I, I, I mean, here's the problem: they're lying everywhere, right? I know for a fact uh, a friend of mine whose um, family member works in the elder care environment, and this is fact. They're just out and out marking deaths as COVID without any substance whatsoever. They're telling me that if someone passed away, 80 some years old, respiratory issues or, you know, been on the dying bed for six months and there was anybody on the floor that had COVID, they're marking that death as COVID. No testing, no nothing. So your government's lying one way, our government's lying the other way. 
Well, I it's, mean, that's it's why, an insurance that's, thing. That, I know. Yeah. I mean, this is the problem. So anybody out there, and I love it when the, all these experts on Facebook is everybody's an expert on Facebook is using all this data as as a basis for any kind of logical sense. How can you use data that's not sound? Because it's just not. I mean, it, it really isn't. And and just so you know, too, hospitals are are lying about COVID because you know, I, my uncle died. And we're not really sure whether he had COVID or not, but it seems apparent. Um, it seems apparent that he did because his brother and his sister got it. But they, he, he went to the hospital. They sent him home. He went back again, you know, and, and died on the way back again, like three or four days later. And, you know, any death they mark as COVID completely releases any liability of man, malpractice to any hospital, right? So there's so many motives, whether it be the $13,000 per COVID patient, the 30 some thousand dollars for every patient on a ventilator, uh, statistics, you know, in, in your country, they don't want, they're trying to prevent fear. Everybody's lying to us. Yes. yes. So how, how can you possibly have a, a, a realistic view of the landscape? And everybody's taking all this data so to heart, like, oh, well, the government said it. It's got to be true. It's so not true. Yeah. Well, when you yeah. think about it, how the massive undertaking, even for the United States, of of compiling numbers like that, and I mean, half the time you can't get people on a video. Ch I mean, look at the technical issues that we that we had today. We well, can't that's figure. You. Fig that's but I'm you. just saying. But but I'm just saying. We I've had it with my with my other business. Like uh, there's technical issues when I have 13 people getting on a Zoom call. You know, like how do they how do they compile all this data and know that it's real that this that the data that they're compiling is correct? So. Yeah, it's it's a it's a weird it's a weird time. You don't know what to believe for sure. Matt, I mean, the only people that I, I really have a major compassion for right now, and, and and just amazed by is all these people who got to work with this every day, day in and day out. All the first responders, fearless, going in, going out, helping other people. I mean, that's just an amazing state of mind. So honestly, kudos to. Anybody out there who's listening, who, who is a first responder, or yep, absolutely, or, or in it, or working in the hospitals, in the medical fields, wherever, whatever the case may be, kudos to all of you guys. So yeah, yes, yeah, much appreciated. Because I haven't put on pants or, or socks in a month and a half, so I, I definitely give you guys props. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not like you buttoned your pants normally, anyway. I have elastic on my pants now. I don't have to wear real, real clothing. Um, One day, Paul will be a real boy and actually wear actual pants. <laughs> this is actually going to go on. So, uh, Juan, for those uh, transitioning back in the cigar world, uh, for those who don't know, uh, you guys make all of Steve Saka's product. What's it like working with Steve Saka on a regular basis? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we all want to hear this. <laughs> uh, I have to correct. We don't make all of his products, but we okay. do have makes a great okay. deal of those. Something, he also makes some something made by Natsa, I believe. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, it's, with Steve, it's an adventure, man. You know him. Um, <laughs> I do have to say, though, that working with Steve has given us, uh, and this is, goes back since he was at Drew Estate, because we, our first relationship, and he was the responsible of having Koya Nicaragua inside of Drew Estate. Mm -hmm. So we've, we, we're used to working with him since very early on, even the worst parts, and, and it's, you weren't even when he was more bossy than what he's today. When he was the CEO. <laughs> uh, you know, it, 
we've learned so much from Steve. Steve has this way of doing and working that's very, very thorough, very um, detail-oriented, very, you know, minutious. He goes down to the detail of every single aspect of his product. Uh, that has that has made us better as cigar manufacturer. We've learned so much of him as a client. Of course, we need to satisfy him as a client, but we also learn a lot from him, and hopefully, he's learned a little. Uh, he's learned a little bit from us. Working with Steve, you know, he comes down. He used to come down, of course, pre pre COVID, uh, one week per month almost when mm-hmm. he was not traveling. Uh, we would spend hours and hours and hours sitting and testing and testing. His level of organization, his level of detail is very uncommon in this industry. And we work with many clients uh, from all over the world. And the way he handles and he envisions his product is very, very unique. And I think it's part of the, the, his, his success because he deep dives into shit. He's not comfortable with just the superficial part or anything. He goes down. He makes sure that things are like he wants them to be. But he's also, although he, you know, he comes across as the know, know it all. He sells himself. No He's way. <laughs> he, he he knows a lot. He knows a lot. <laughs> uh, uh, but he does accept advice and recommendation from our part. And uh, he's very open to hearing. And he's always, so what do you think? How do you feel with that? And he's he always keeps, and he comes out and say, you know, I agree with you, especially with Mario, who's, who's the, our factory manager. And he sits a lot with, with Mario because he's like the, he's, he's liaison in the factory. Uh He's always coming back at trip later. You know, I thought what you said, and, and I think it's a good idea, man. I think we should do this. Um, and I think Steve is, is for us, it's a beacon. And I, I try to speak to Steve in this situation at least once a week because he gives us light onto many aspects that we don't see from down here or that we cannot see. Or that Steve is a one-man show. And what he has achieved is, is impressive. Uh, you know, one man show, one family show. To be fair, uh, with Cindy yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and, and Jonathan doing a lot of the work to the, the back office, but what he has, what he has achieved, uh, being on the road, developing the product, developing great, fantastic product. Because Steve comes down, he buys his own tobacco, so we buy his, his tobacco on his behalf, but he actually chooses the tobacco. He reserves his tobacco. He goes over his tobacco and he goes into the blends with time. With time, with precision, almost uh, chirurgical precision, learning, writing, and, and analyzing his, his blends, coming up, going and coming and going, and he—he's—I think he's the only person in the industry who actually travels to the printer to make sure that his gold embossing in his band is correct. <laughs> and if it's not, he'll travel again to Europe to make sure yeah. it is. You know, that's the level of detail that he—that he. That he and I appreciate that a lot because that forces me to try to be as a little bit as him to be better in, in what we do and the way that we that we showcase the product. And I think it shows. It shows not only in the numbers, but it shows on the way people appreciate his product. Uh, most of his cigar are like all of us, that we have to have a balance in the price range and say most of his cigars are not cheap. Are not cheap. Uh, and, and, and he's able to sell them successfully because... He does all of this. And lastly, you know, what he does with the consumer engagement in social media, uh, I think it's a, a case study. I think we need to put a lot of attention on how he does things. He's able to be there. I don't know how he does it physically, to be there uh, online and chatting with people and responding every single comment 
and doing his, you know, Saka question, cigar question of the week and, and all of this. And I'm impressed. I always ask him, do you have someone doing this for you? Because it's impossible to be, and I, I know it's him. I, you know, you know, it's Saka just by the way he sneakers his, 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 uh, that's his, his funny. Sneakers. I was going to say that snicker. Snicker. Yeah. His little uh, trademark tagline. Yeah, He's even extremely active and, and, and it, but, but you see at the end of the day, one, that, that's what connects us, right? Um, I, I'm the same way, man. Social media takes up a lot of my day, but that's the only way I'm connecting with the consumers worldwide. Otherwise, I'm just leaving it up to some guy and it just doesn't translate as well to the, to the, to the base. So, um, you know, but, you know, Steve, Steve will reap the success of his rewards, right? I mean, you have your freshman five, like Eric Espinosa, like, uh, who was it? Uh, Pete Johnson said that. So, you know, sophomore 10. And those are the, the integral building years. And Steve's managed to, to really, I think, stay ahead of the normal curve, you know, um, but it's that, it's that, I mean, I've had arguments with Steve. Look, Steve, Steve is without a doubt a know-it-all. Steve was a consumer in my first location before he was really even in the cigar industry, you know, uh, in, in our first store. And, but the difference in his know-it-all is he's a know-it-all when he really knows it, right? Yes. If, he, if he's talking to you like a know-it-all, he's talking about yes. something that he exactly yeah. knows yeah. what he's talking about. Yeah. Not yeah. that yeah. I just know everything and, and no. you know, no, 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 exactly. right, right? And, but that's why he's always, I mean, Steve has sat to me and called me up and said, Hey, what do you think of this? Right? So, cause he, look, I've always said the most dangerous thing is not knowing what you don't know. Right. That's the most dangerous thing. Not knowing what you don't know. Steve's very good at knowing what he doesn't know and then mm-hmm. won't mind listening and reaching out, which is, you know, kudos to him. It's a side of, you know, a very insightful person. It's a mark of a great leader, too. Yeah. I, I always say. Yeah. Absolutely. So he's, in the, for, for me and for us at Hoya Nicaragua, it's uh, beyond the personal relationship that we have with him. For us, it's a it's a great honor to be able to say that we make cigars for Steve Saka because he could easily have gone and opened up his factory, man, without a doubt, and it would be a great factory made, run by him. But the fact that he trusts us and that he comes over and he feels that our products are, are representative of his own style is, I think, the biggest compliment that we can get. More, even more than any award, any rating that you can get, to have someone like Steve and others like him. Uh, you know, give you that blessing and that sort of badge for us. It's it's a great honor, and I think we've uh, since since we began working together with him, of course, with Drew Estate uh, and with other partners, we've we surely become a better better company. Even with all the legacy and all the history and all the heritage and all the experience our people had. Uh, I'm talking about people in our factory that have been working on average. The average tenure at Jorge Nicaragua is 32 years. That's wow. awesome. Wow. We have people there that have been working for 52 years. That's so, awesome. So even with all that history and all that baggage and all that, you know, to be able to learn and appreciate uh, the, 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 the talent that our clients like Steve bring to the table, it's for, for us, it's phenomenal. For us, it's phenomenal. Now, you know, I, it, I think it goes back to Steve was actually a fan of your cigars on a consumer level, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just curious because we didn't touch base on this. How did your relationship with Drew Estate happen? What, what, what was what was the point where that met or that was discussed? Was Steve involved in that? Because I, I know he liked the factory. 
No, actually, the the first time we met Steve was uh, when we began negotiating the distribution agreement after my father and Jonathan had already uh, sort of hit it off and started talking about the possibility. And the way my father learned uh, or met Jonathan was that when the whole S-ship situation was happening in the United States, back here there was no representative organization of the industry. So my father started pushing with Placencia, with Nestor, and with others in the industry to create this. They called them back then the Nicaraguan Cigar Guild Association, or Nicaraguan eventually became the Nicaraguan Tobacco Association. That's now the Nicaraguan Chamber of Tobacco. That that now it's a big, big organization that represents all of the companies. But back then in 2006, it's only a few. You know, we had uh, we had uh, Toraño. You had. Uh, Placencia, Joya de Nicaragua, and I think Oliva. They were like the four founders of the, uh, uh, and my father didn't exist back then, so they were not part of the original group that launched in order to negotiate the agreements on behalf of Nicaragua with the, the, with the Senate or the, or the Congress for the whole tax situation that was being handled. So in these meetings, they started inviting cigar manufacturers and other companies, and Jonathan, uh, remember, but this is 2005, 2006, something like that. So we still don't have the La Gran Fabrica as what it was today. Um, so Jonathan started coming in and my father, I remember very clearly talking about this gringo. It was this gringo, <laughs> man, that came, he's always in shorts and flip flops with this red or orange sunglasses that nobody gets him because he speaks too, lo- too quickly. Uh, a lot of them don't speak English. So I, I started talking to him. And I remember him uh, inviting him to lunch one time in Managua. And Jonathan, you know, he's, I remember them. He was like speaking, uh, you know, very, very energetic. energetic. Uh, And uh, that's how they hit it off. And that's in one of the conversations, my father said, you know what? It would be interesting if, if, if we, if you could represent our cigars in the, and this is a different Drew Estate than what you know today, correct? This oh, is, yeah. Uh, they had no traditional, they, they only had infused products back then. Uh, they had, you know, the, the, the products that you know today, like Ligas, Herreras did not exist. So Hoya for them, Hoya Nicaragua was their first traditional cigar to be handled. So that was the reason why Hoya Nicaragua was so important for Drew Estate because it also opened up the door or the space in the humidors that they didn't have back then. They had, you know, they had acid, they had isla, they had all of this infused Kalua, uh, yeah. all of this infused, but they had no traditional. So for them to represent an old school traditional brand was sort of a breaking point. Eventually they developed Liga and, and, and Underground and, and all of the traditional and we coexist now. But back then it was the, the sole owner. So Steve comes and I remember that Jonathan saying, so those are the guys you know, Steve Saka is coming. The first, the Nicaraguan, I'm very ignorant sometimes, so I first thought that Steve was going to be Japanese. (laughs) 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 And the first thing, so we come very properly dressed for the meeting, you know, we're we're, we're having this. We're going to bow, do the bow and everything, and the bow ready. Yeah, we have this, and we come in, and this is, uh, we have Jonathan in shorts and flip-flops, and Steve also in shorts, Mm -hmm. and this big red shirt. Uh, and this big guy was like, wow, man, it was, who are we dealing with? And, you know, he's, he's very, uh, very ordered in his meeting. And that was the first time we met Steve in, uh, 
in uh, in 2006 when we started negotiating the agreement, the distribution agreement with real estate. And after that, he sort of was the responsible for who took Hoya Nicaragua in his heart. And he was the one from product development, negotiating advertisement. He actually uh, was on the road with my father every single time. And my father in 2008 was on the road for almost 200 days a year in the United States, visiting accounts and doing events and all that. And Steve was with him every single time. Um, so, you know, that was sort of the dedication and the commitment that Steve had since since very early on. Wow. That is a fascinating story. That is great. Uh, yeah, definitely. Never thought I'd hear, hear someone describe Steve Sock as Japanese. Yeah. <laughs> it makes sense, though. He doesn't know that story. He'll know it now, but he <laughs> he's watching. He knows now. <laughs> he knows of course. That. All right. Uh, Paul, we're bringing our next uh, guest in as well. Um, yeah, I'm calling him in. So, all right. Uh, go ahead. You can, now, you can give him an intro. All right. We are uh, now welcoming in uh, Mr. Joe Grow, the Digital Marketing Director for Drew Estate. Uh, Joe, welcome to KMA Talk Radio, or the KMA at, at Home Edition, as we yep. like to say. Welcome, sir. Thank you. My first appearance on KMA. Yeah, yeah fantastic to have you, sir. How you guys doing? Good to see you, Joe. Good to see Can't you, complain. Obviously, you know Juan. Yep. <laughs> Where's the I'm background, sure, man? I'm, I'm sure you're familiar. Uh, I'm sitting in my backyard patio smoking session. You know, this is pretty much the I get to see my backyard or the fall or the four walls of inside my house. That is the extent of my like excursions right now. So now, I sit now, in the jungle that is my backyard. Now you've been working from home. How many weeks now? Uh, since mid March. Wow. So that's we're coming up on two months of working from home. So. It's been uh, it's been interesting. A lot of uh, Teams meetings and Zoom calls. Have now, has everybody wearing pants in these calls? Are you making sure of that? That's no. one of the things. I, you know, I used to be you know, back in my development software development days. I'd work from home on occasion. The one thing that you always learn is you get dressed the first thing in the morning. You shower. You do your routine so that you don't like. If you don't do that, then you start really losing it. You have to keep a routine going. That's that's where so, I am right now. Yeah, Paul. Paul's done. Have you, yeah. suffered, have you suffered the freshman 15 at all? The freshman 15? Yeah, like we've all put on like the 15. Oh, oh God. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's without goes without saying. It's funny. <laughs> yeah. Some days at work when I'm normally at work, I, you know, I look at my watch. It's three o'clock and I'm like, wait, did I eat lunch today? I don't know. Just because we have so much going on here every day. Oh, I have lunch. My wife's cooking lunch, dinner, I have breakfast. I'm like, oh, God, this is I'm actually eating three square meals a day and ballooning. Last, so, last couple of weeks, I've been going in the office and thank God because. Yeah. During quarantine, it was like a perpetual graze all day. I felt like a cow in a mm. pasture, just grazing all day. If I walked by the kitchen to go to the bathroom, I'd grab something to eat. Yeah, I walked right. by this way, I'd grab something to eat. It was just, it was torture. It's I think the I put, constant snacking. Yeah, yeah. I, I put on a freshman 20. <laughs> well, the worst part of it is for me, like, I didn't really have the home office set up because I just haven't had the need one. And then, so, you know, I grab you know, a little desk, I get my monitor from the office, but I forgot to grab the my computer chair. So for the past two months, I've actually been working off a folding chair. Let's oh, just no. say that's not been <laughs> wow. Yeah, that that was not a smart move. I, I really just need idea, to invest man. in it. Ooh, <laughs> that is not good for the posture. Got to no. improve on that. No. Well, so, I, I want to talk about why Joe came exactly. on today, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we've been very active and very good, and then constantly, you know, trying to evolve our show. And before this whole catastrophe, we were really getting ready to make our moves to build the, probably the most state-of-the-art studio that 
any media person in this industry has. Um, but okay. what we've never focused on is our website as much, right? We kind of change it every few years and stay stagnant. So we just re, re, recently revamped the KMA website and kind of get a little more activity, a little more involvement. Paul, you started your own little segment called The Producer's Perspective, which I've gotten a couple emails on. I like it. Tell us a little bit about that. So what, what we want to do is we want to engage our audience a little bit more outside of just the show itself. So um, what we decided to do um, with, with our team and, and Abe's team and, and, and Brian, who's our awesome uh, web development guy, is uh, put together a little bit more personalized touch outside of the show. So uh, whether or not uh, my opinion matters, <laughs> I kind of... <laughs> it, it doesn't, no. It matters, a lot, it matters a lot more when I'm not around. That's how you give your own little perspective. Yeah. So I give... I give a little kind of uh, pre-show workup on every show. So every Friday you'll get an email from me uh, via the KMA email list where uh, I'll talk a little bit about uh, the upcoming show, who we're going to have on, what we're hoping to talk about. And it's just kind of like a, I know Coop doesn't like this word, but a teaser of the show to come up. Uh, and then can, can, can they reply to that if they want you to discuss anything in particular? They can reply to that uh, because it comes from info at KMA Talk Radio, I believe, and I will get that. So, yes. Okay. So, so if anybody can... says, hey, I'd like you to see what's going on about this or that, they can respond to that email and you, that's something you can incorporate into the next day's show. Yeah, and at any and at any time, even if they don't want to reply to the email, they want to just reach out to me. Info at KMA Talk Radio is how you get in touch directly with me and our team. But but I, I read every email that that comes through for KMA Talk Radio, whether it's directed towards me or not. So... Um, then, then we also, we, we like the discussion that comes up because the show, you know, it's live now, but then it stays out in the universe, obviously forever. So it goes onto YouTube, it goes onto iTunes, it stays on Facebook. And we see a lot of engagement with the show the week after it airs as well. Sometimes some of the, some of the biggest, uh, viewership that we see is, is after the show is actually live. Cause maybe you don't have time on a Saturday, although these days everybody has time, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> So what's so a what, Saturday? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so so what we wanted to do is kind of kind of do like a pre-show wrap up, like a a little a little wrap up on the show, maybe a little personal anecdote. So that's the producer's perspective. That on Mondays you'll get an email from me just talking about what happened on the show, maybe some surprises that we talked about, um, and and any other uh, little tidbits that we should talk about, possibly some hints towards. Um, you know, follow-up shows because of things that we discussed on there as well. And kind of asking for your opinions in, in all honesty as well. So kind of just giving us a little bit more, a little bit more interaction with you, the, the listeners, the viewers, um, other than just on the show and, and right here live on Facebook to kind of broaden our communication with you. So if, if you're not subscribed to the KMA Talk Radio email list, for sure, go to kmatalkradio.com. It's it's right up there in the front where you can subscribe to our email list. Um, we don't hammer you with tons of emails. We don't we don't sell your email list to anyone. We have you know a, a really great um, sponsorship program with some of your favorite brands as well that you'll see on there. But it's more of a direct communication with us um, and, and what and what we're doing. So definitely, it's a great it's a great way for us to interact with our base throughout the week, right? When we're not right. broadcasting and. Joe and the fine folks at Jewish State, in their infinite wisdom, right, got together and, and want us to help drive that base and get it more active and, and do. So they have given us this incredible package that we're going to give away. Yep, yeah, put it up. Ooh, that we're going to that, that we're going to give away. 
Uh, it's, it's the Drew Estate Super Prize giveaway. And uh, has the picture come up yet, Paul? Yeah, yeah, it's up. Okay. Um, and, and Joe, why don't you tell them what's involved in this package here? Well, so I'm... We decided, you know, Abe, when we got talking that you guys were going to launch your website, and, you know, we wanted to participate in this momentous occasion and really kind of drive a lot of people to KMA because, I mean, this is a killer program. I love watching you guys every Saturday. It's awesome. So what we got in this package for you guys, so for the grand prize, first off, you have a Drew Estate-branded Yeti uh, Tundra 35. Now, this oh. is a massive cooler. Like, this is something that is just it's – it's awesome. I mean – Look, I have a couple Yetis myself. It was great during the initial uh, couple weeks of COVID when everybody was buying meat and had to stock up. So I, I filled my freezer and then I threw a bunch of ice in that thing and some, uh, you know, some sausage, some hot dogs, bacon, all that kind of thing. That that holds ice for over a week. Like it is crazy. So you have that. Then next thing you have in that prize package, you have a Benchmade Alarfume cigar cutter. Like this thing is an it's a knife. It's a cigar cutter. Actually, it's a screwdriver and a bottle opener, and a, it hangs on your belt all in one. But it's actually one of the – I mean, we've done stuff with Benchmade in the past. They're great friends of ours. It's a great company. And the knife is super sharp. It'll cut your cigar beautifully. I mean, it's a beautiful piece. It is branded with the Herrera Esteli Norteño, the birds on there, the Guadabaranca, the national bird of Nicaragua. So that is – I mean, it is a, it's a beautiful piece. And then finally, we have our Liga Pravada Flying Pig Toolkit. So that has not only does it have it's an awesome tin, but it comes with a three finger cigar case, a cigar rest and an ashtray all in one. So, I mean, that is a massive package and you're looking at probably close to you know $600 in value just and that's the grand prize. And then we have two second and third place prizes, which gets you the, uh, the cigar cutter from Benchmade and the uh, toolkit as well. So, I mean, these are some massive prizes. Super awesome. Super generous. And just in time for summer, because who couldn't use a Yeti cooler in the summertime? So oh, yeah. all, all you got to do is come to our new uh, relaunched website, subscribe to our newsletter, and we're going to collect everybody who subscribes through, uh, through May 29th, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. We're going to mm-hmm. get all that data. We're going to give it to Joe. Joe's going to call back on the May 30th show, do a randomized drawing, and we're going to announce three winners. So super, super awesome promotion. Thank you for your support, uh, Joe, you and everybody at Drew Estate, and uh, offering this to uh, a lot of our KMA fans. No, thank really, you guys it's for a really cool package. Can, can I add uh, an add-on to that? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> That's what I love. Joe, Joe. So we'll, we'll do an extra one. Do, uh, if someone wants, we have this special book. I don't know if you guys have read it. This is uh, called Cinco Decas, The Rise of the Nicaragua Cigar. This is a book that we published uh, last year, 2018, about the history of Nicaragua tobacco, about Hoya de Nicaragua. It's a beautiful masterpiece. It's a hard book cover uh, that talks about the, the history of tobacco in Nicaragua. Uh, we have a couple of copies there. And, uh, Joe, can we get a second winner and choose another one, another person, and get one of these exclusive copies? Hey, what do you say? Can we throw it in? Absolutely, absolutely, and listen. I, I mean, I hate to be presumptuous, but I, it, I'd be a sin if I don't ask. Any possibility we can get that book signed by you and your father? Sure. Ooh. Yeah. Touchdown! Yeah. Wow! Touchdown! Look at that, right here. We, you know, and again, this is about the partnership of Drew Estate and Hoya de Nicaragua. Look, Juan's throwing in. So, guys, I mean, that's this kind of this is your opportunity to win. So, uh, uh, Paul, if you can, or somebody, drop the uh, link. The, where the, we have the sign-up form in the chat. Yeah. I don't know if you did it already, 
So, I mean, this is an opportunity to get some really cool stuff, guys. And we're just here to celebrate, you know, the, this new launch for Kiss My Ash. Because, I mean, this is just a sign of things to come for us in terms of the partnership. It's only going to keep growing from here. And we wanted to really, you know, reward your listeners with some really cool stuff. And it's an opportunity that's only available here. Awesome. Super, super pumped up. Once that's again, cool. Joe, super thank you to you, your involvement, the whole Drew Estate team, to Juan and the people of the Hoya Nicaragua. Just made an awesome thing. And honestly... We need to start normalizing. So this is a great little package to start breaking into summer, getting ready, and I couldn't ask for a better thing. Thank you the so much. The beaches are folks. opening here. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The beaches are about to open. Fill the cooler. Put some Coronas in there. And back <laughs> to Corona, right? I have That's so much good. Corona in my house, by the way. I, I, I have, my Yeti is filled with Coronas right now. I, I don't know why we have so much. It's an awkward thing, but they were on sale. So we bought like three 24-packs. And we don't really drink <laughs> beer. So party at Paul's house if anybody wants to join in. Yep. Yeah. A social distance partying. You have to hang out in the garage. <laughs> All right, I can do that. It's funny, driving around my neighborhood, I see people sitting out standing outside and just the whole dynamics. One person standing here, one person standing here, yep. one person standing and there's like there are four people talking like, you know, ten yards apart. Hey, when so you go out for a yeah. walk, do you wear a mask or no? Excuse me, when I do what? When you go out for a walk. Oh, okay. You don't walk the dog? What's that? What's that? <laughs> All right. That's why he's got four kids. Listen, I saw I saw a guy ride so I ride the bike every day with, with Axel, my, my one and a half year old. He sits on like the front. There's one of those front seats, those thule seats. And I was riding and some guy was riding his bike passing me and he was wearing a mask while he was riding his bike. And I'm like, how close could you possibly get to another person where you have to wear a mask outside? But I felt let like let he me, was judging me because I wasn't wearing one. Let me tell you something. If I wore a mask by riding a bike or walking, I'd probably have a heart attack. Yeah, you'll die. I, I just put the mask on. I brought my daughter with me to, to the work today. She likes to come. And I just stopped at a gas station to get her some breakfast and whatever. And, of course, anytime I go into a public setting, I put on a mask. You know? Yeah, here too. Um just, just even just for the courtesy of people around me. If that if that's what it takes to make other people feel more comfortable, I'm all right with it. It's not the end of the world. But holy cow, when I got to the car, I'm like, oh my god, oxygen. <laughs> <laughs> I was like dying. I mean, if I tried to do any physical activity with a mask, COVID would not be my issue. Try wearing glasses with a mask. <laughs> oh yeah, oh. fogged up immediately. Yeah, you can't see a damn you thing. Can't see. Holy <laughs> uh, well, Joe, thank you so no. much for coming on. We'll be talking to you. So- oh, go ahead, Joe. <laughs> I know. I just had a quick thing, a quick aside. Abe, last night as I'm sitting in, I'm in bed next to my wife and I'm watching the dojo broadcast. Uh, and then watch. all, and then all of a sudden, I see, I hear Abe's beautiful voice and I look down and there's Abe leaning in, in the hot tub, just completely, you know, he's, you know, naked from the top down. I'm like, oh, I did not expect to see this tonight. So you know, I just had to bring that up. I'm sorry that, but that was just one of those like not expected things that happened. Wow, I have to watch this now. It, it's, it's, it's the last ten minutes. True yeah. story. True story. Um, I was watching the episode, and everybody was great. It was an epic episode. They had everybody in the history on. Right. And um, I, I just figured I'm going to be sitting down and watching for two hours. So I got in the pool, got my little ashtray, got my cigars, got my phone. Just, I like to stand on the edge of the pool and comfortable. I'm watching it, and and I guess. One is because we were the first company, Smoke In, uh, to work with Dojo on their first, basically, Dojo cigar. And that was Winter yep. State. And Eric talked about it on the show because 
um, he, we basically had a conversation, and I basically said to him, I said, well, look, you know, who do you want to do this with? Oh, I don't know. Who do you think will do it? I'm like, look, just if you had the choice of anybody you want to work with, tell me who it is. I'm more than happy to reach out, and we can make this happen. And, you know, his first choice was Drew Estate. And that's when we came out with Dogma, which, you know, was one of the most epic probably dojo releases ever to the point where it kind of now is a limited regular annual release. That yes, it is. Doing. So um, during the show, as I'm watching, Juan Cancel is texting me because that, that dojo room is, is a dojo protocol room. Come on, get on. We want you on. Master says, I said, dude, I'm in the pool. I'm not getting on. I call, <laughs> that's all I need to do is give Skip Martin an opportunity <laughs> being in a pool. And, and literally, he, he, he battered me for like 30 minutes. My phone wouldn't stop pinging. I couldn't watch a show in peace. So I literally got on in the last 10 minutes. And as I got on, Skip Martin was talking about sous vide, you know, the, the boiling of the oh, yeah. So it was just perfect timing. Like, Skip, you inspired me. I'm sous viding myself. <laughs> <laughs> He's yeah, obsessed with that, by the way. It's, it's all he obsessed. does. Yeah, obsessed. So, I had to, I, out of respect and paid a little homage and tribute. And it was an honor being in that room with all those guys. I, I, I ended up jumping on for the last 10 minutes. Pool yeah, shot. I just wanted so, to say it was, it was an epic moment. So, so we have a quick question <laughs> from, from an audience member from our, our good yeah. friend, Casey. Um, oh, and he corrected the way I said his name, Aldulemi. Uh, Juan, where can, so if, if they don't win, this package, where can our listeners buy that book that you showed us? Is it available for purchase anywhere? Yeah, it's not available in the U.S. precisely, but we're going to get it on Amazon soon. So it's going to be available on Amazon. We'll let people know when it's uh, So when it's, it's available, let us know and we'll get it out to our mm-hmm. listeners so that they, mm-hmm. they... So this is something you can't get here right now, Casey, so you better enter no, no. the contest. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Joe, thank awesome. you again. Thank you for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. You know, good luck to everybody with the contest. I'm sure you'll see me on when we'll do the, the, the grand prize drawing. So I really appreciate it. And thanks, Abe. Can't thanks, wait. Paul. Thank thanks, Adam. Thank no you. Problem. May 30th. Make sure you are listening on that day. Make sure you go to the KMA Talk Radio Facebook page, kmatalkradio.com. Sign up so you can get win that fantastic package. It's going to be phenomenal. And win the chance to get a book autographed by Mr. Juan Martinez and his father, Dr. Cuenca. So, hey, how can you go wrong there that you can't even get in the United States? Super cool. Mm-hmm. That is That that just takes it up a notch, man. That's pretty Oh, cool. yeah. So we're going to bring in uh, William Cooper as well. Juan, if you have so, a few minutes to hang out to talk to our good friend. Sure. So, sure. But uh, while we're bringing Coop on, Juan, um, everybody's talking, you know, PCA is supposed to be coming up soon. Are you guys got anything new in the works that you guys are working on currently for new products wise? Um, can you hear me? Do you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, well, yeah. Fortunately, I don't think I'm gonna be in PCA this year. Uh, of course, Drew Estate is not. It's not coming. So yep. there are distributors there. So uh, we're probably not. Be, we're not gonna be coming directly. Uh, most of our customers uh, from the international uh, markets will not be coming either. So unfortunately, Las Vegas won't be happening for, for me personally this year. And also, uh, flights are canceled in and out from Nicaragua until probably mid-June. So uh, we'll see what happens there. We're actually cut out from, from the rest of the world at this moment. Um, but we are coming up with a couple of, actually three new projects. Uh, um, we'll be releasing the news sometime in May. 
but some exciting extensions that we're going to be bringing up and some exclusive stuff that uh, that, we were, that we're working on. Hopefully, we'll be on the streets in June or uh, July. Hopefully, yeah. Great. Well, keep the secrecy. We'll, we'll let that go. Yes. <laughs> Otherwise, you know. Uh, you know. Absolutely. So uh, now joining us live from a different room in his house, Mr. William Cooper. Cooper Loop, what's happening, buddy? Hey, guys. Hey, Juan. How's it going? Uh, hey, Coop. Hey, Coop. You, we lost Good. your video there for a second. I think you may just I think you got to hit the video button. Okay, how's that? Oh, there he is. It's the excitement of which room he's going to be yeah. in as a week now. It's, <laughs> yeah. the, it's the new thing. There was supposed to be a fireplace, if I'm not mistaken, this week. That was last week. That was last week, except the fireplace isn't working right now. You weren't sober last week. You don't remember. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. Coop, is this is this what like your Florida room or something? Oh, this is the this is the oh, quote unquote the the room that's called the parlor. <laughs> the parlor. The parlor. All I, all I gotta say is that lamp to your left is pretty epic. <laughs> it's, it's antique. It's antique. I wish you could raise the can. I need to see how big that top actually is. Yeah. Uh, that is like yeah. That's don't be careful, Coopy. We don't yeah, want yeah, you to yeah, get no, in trouble. Yeah, no, the camera's too far back to do it. Unfortunately, no I'll put a picture up of it. I'll put a picture up of it. Yeah, I gotta ask Coop. Are all the pillows in your house pink? No, <laughs> just this room. I feel like from like the, one of the previous <laughs> rooms, the pillows there were pink as well. Yeah, it's the same room though, just a different angle. It was. Uh, yeah, Adam, it's yeah. not pink. It's rose. It's Rose, Fine. Rose, Rose. Oh, okay. My apologies. My apologies. <laughs> yeah. oh, wow. my, my pillow etiquette is not up to form as to what it should be. Wow. So, Coop, so, there's, been, there's been some things uh, in the news this week. Uh, I saw a couple of your Facebook comments. You want to uh, touch on any of that uh, PCA stuff? Yeah, so what's happening with the PCA right now is they haven't made any final decision if the show's on or not so i want to make that clear right now their, their last official statement was it was on um but they haven't changed that position as of yet and that's but there was an interesting piece of news that came out of las vegas late late this past week and the nevada gaming commission which is basically the regulatory body in las vegas that casinos and hotels have to abide by they put forth their regulations for reopening las vegas and there's a bunch of things like social distancing in there, but one of the things that's in those regulations is a cap on 250 people at conventions. So the question is, with the PCA uh, trade show very coming up very soon in July, you know, it's, it's putting it right up against now probably these initial regulations coming in. But needless to say, I don't know how you can have a, uh, any sort of convention with 250 people. There's with more a trade than 250 show. exhibitors. Exactly. If you go, this. yeah, if you had one person per that, even if you had like a hundred, you have two and a half. Yeah. But it, there's another, it, yeah, go ahead, I, I, Look, I know you're rumor free, you know, but I'm not rumor free. So <laughs> I, there's been a thing, and I don't know if anybody else has heard it, but I, I heard there's an announcement coming Monday that pretty much is going to say that it's not going to happen this year. Well, Monday's the 60-day. A lot of people are looking for Monday, too, because Monday is 60 days before the trade show opens. So that would make sense that something's going to happen early next week. And I'm hearing the same things as you are. I wasn't sure if you were, but that, that's the rumor on the street. Right. right. That's that's supposedly the word. I'll say word on the street, but um, it yeah. makes sense because you're getting into – once you get into that 60-day window, I don't know how you're going to make any changes at that point. Yeah. So true. So uh, what else is going on in the world, Coop? Um, the other thing that's happened is the uh, 
it was a slow week in news this week, but the um, U.S. Court of Appeals ruled against the cigar industry and the FDA to try Shocker. to push, yeah to try to push these substantial equivalent state uh, back to August eighth, two thousand twenty-one. So it's going to be that September 9th date that we reported a few weeks ago. So because uh, what this country needs right now is to make sure that our, the substantial equivalent of this industry is on point. That's a deep concern right now. It's very important right now. Yes, save lives. Nothing else is really going on that we should actually be worrying about. (laughs) Just that. Absolutely. Or with the the FDA, nothing's going on right now, right? You don't think that? No, 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 not at all. Yeah, you know, I keep going. This September 9th date is not too far away, and I doubt the FDA is starting to work on substantial equivalence right now. So I'm not sure what that. That just seemed like it wasn't enough time to begin with. Who's got the motorcycle? Is that you, Coop? No, definitely not me. I'm hearing it. Right, that was me. Okay, so when you hear stuff like that, Adam, in the background, you just might say, mm, yeah, let me mute my mic. But <laughs> anyways, I mean, yeah, can you imagine? Can you imagine right now any single FDA resource being used on anything other than working on some kind of developmental drug or vaccine or treatment for this world crisis? But no, they want to work on this. Joke. <laughs> no, it, it, it's true. It, it, it's true, and uh, like I said, I I can't even see like if you would take that higher up into like you know the Department of Health and Human Services, what they would even say on that. You know? it, I I don't know where the insanity ends in this country. I mean, I, I really don't. I mean, it's just it's just so deep. And did, did anybody see this video going viral this week about? Um, the former Dr. Fauci employee yeah. who went to jail and got, I mean, it was all over the internet, um, who got, went to jail and, and just shows this whole cabal movement that dates back like 30 plus years. Is that, was that that pandemic thing? It was a, a pandemic or something? If, like- if, I find, if I find the link, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get a copy of the link. I'll post it in the chat. I think someone uh, messaged it to me on Facebook. It's about a 30 minute thing. But if you're not equivalently freaked out and realize that there's a big movement by that end of this thing, because this woman worked for him and she wrote, she's got a book now. Um, I mean, look, you don't know who to believe, but everything I heard in there is so extremely like, yeah, it kind of makes sense. It's it just kind of tells you what's going to put an end to this. Well, I think the best thing I saw this week was pubs in Ireland are closed until August 10th. Hell has frozen over. Yeah, what are people going to do? Hell has frozen. Casey Casey says it was a fake video. Casey, let me know where where you found it said it was a fake video. I'd like to know. There are a lot of of, uh, uh, mainstream news networks calling it uh, a hoax as well. I understand, but don't you ever watch these these conspiracy theory movies? That's exactly what they do to people like this. No, I know. I know. (laughs) They write them off as hoaxes and and, and counterdict them, but... That's you why know, we go to Coop for our news. Right. Right? <laughs> rumor free news. What else we got? Anything else in rumor free news this week? Um, the, the only, there was not much product wise except that Jerry Tobacco, the company run by uh, Christian Aroa's brother Justo and their father Julio, they announced they're going to be shipping uh, a new uh, blend under the Aladino line called the Aladino Habano. It's going to be a, a Rothschild sized cigar, um, all Honduran tobacco, Habano wrapper, and that's going to expected to hit stores by this summer. Okay, there we go. Very nice. Uh, what do you got in the review packet for this week, Coop? 
Um, bunch of stuff happening this week. Uh, definitely we have, um, uh, I know we have Hoyo Numero One coming up, I think, in a couple of weeks right now, which I've smoked that, and that's very good right now. Uh, the J.C. Newman TAA cigar is coming up tomorrow, so you can look forward to that one as well. Okay. There we go. Fun stuff. Uh, Paul, what do you got? I, I, I'm good. Coop, what, what's going on in your world? Have you gone out since your doctor's appointment, or was that the only time you left? Um, that's really the only time I left. I did get out for a while. Um, I'm not like I, I I'm probably gonna get out and about a little more. We were gonna go down to Orlando next week. We uh, we iced those plans though. Um, it didn't make any sense to Disney do that. Disney World is closed. No, sir. why would you go to no, Orlando? No, I don't. I, I, I my wife's my wife's father is there. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't I don't I don't go to Disney World, Paul. <laughs> Unlike you, Paul, the rest of us have grown up. You know what's funny, Paul? Mike, my, my I, I have three boys. They expressed, growing up, they expressed no interest in going to Disney World. They were all into Universal Studios. Well, I'm going to tell you why. Because, look, the fact of the matter is, realistically, I, I took my three girls there. Universe is not male-oriented. Disney World, I don't care what you say, is not male-oriented. No. <sighs> it really isn't, dude. It's, it's, it's family-oriented. It's, it's Yeah, unisex. but girl, girl-driven. No. Princesses and bippity-boppity-boo salons. And Tomorrowland is bippity-boppity. Come on. Okay, dude, okay, so look, when 90% of a park is evident, Epcot I don't consider Disney World. But it is Disney yeah. World. You're just talking know, about that's, one park, that's, Magic Epcot's, Kingdom. Listen, Epcot's more of an adult thing. Most kids don't really get into Epcot. Let's be real. Mm-hmm. You, just, you just want to go to country to country and get drunk. Don't lie. Right. So? Okay? I, mean, okay, <laughs> I miss the girls in Japan. But, I miss but them Disney in Japan. World, <laughs> Disney World, like, when, look, when I took my kids, my youngest girl was roughly my son's age now. And let me tell you something. Like, you thought they want a trip to the moon, right? My son's five, six. He has zero interest, never bought up Disneyland, doesn't even care about Mickey Mouse. You know, it's just, it's just not... Love it just, it if it you brought him. They, they had no interest. Exactly. Hey, my boy's the same way. No interest in Mickey Mouse. I mean... It's very, uh, it's very little girl slanted. Yeah, there's stuff that boys will get excited about, but... It's Buzz Lightyear. Come on, huh? man. Buzz Lightyear. I'm, I'm just telling you, it's just very girl slanted, you know. And you don't don't take it don't take offense because I'm calling you feminine, Paul. You don't feel Paul, the, bald man. Paul, the turkey legs at Disney though are, are amazing. Those Delightful. They inject, them. They, they inject them. they inject them with salt. Hold on. Oh, come on, Paul. Don't ruin this for me. You, you and your obsession with. Bad food. Now I mean bad isn't bad taste. I mean like unhealthy. But speaking of which, now that we got you on, yeah, we yeah, yep. we need to talk about the Great American Jerk Off. Oh, yeah, the Great American Jerk Off. Right. This was I, I, so I can't take credit for this. Coop, Coop couldn't even say it. Did you hear him stutter? Yeah, he got I a little did. He got I a little thought, embarrassed. He got a little I, embarrassed. He felt inappropriate. I, I felt that. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> I wasn't offended though. I wasn't offended, so I'll make that good. Yeah, so we're, um, this was actually not my idea or, or my name, but I agreed to be, uh, host this and be the judge on this. So we have three, um, three, three, I guess, Abe and two of our, two of our friends, um, Randy Griggs and Sean Miles are, uh, all three are contending to be the best maker of beef jerky. Um, so they're gonna all put it to a test. 
um, and they're going to bring their beef jerky to the table. And, and the winner of this actually is me because I get to test, test and judge these three. Um, and we're looking. I think we're looking to have the. We were talking this morning. We're looking to have the show probably um, later this month on a Monday. Yeah, the, yeah. the 18th or 20th right now. We'll have details on on all of our social media there. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, when you had your started, blood test, did you ask about this? Is this is okay? <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. So, so this started as, a, as, a, as a, between me and Randy from from the Eighties the Odyssey, right? right. The Dojo guys, right. and you know, kind of got a little because I'm not Randy. From what I understand, I watch Louis. Randy's like a hardcore jerky guy. Like he's been making jerky. He knows jerky. I just kind of got into this a year ago, and I've only made like two or three batches, right? So, but when I made my batches, everybody raved about them. I don't know if you had a chance to try any, Adam, when I made them a few times here. I did. Oh, yeah, they, yeah, oh, yeah. I no, did. You had good, it in yeah. the office. It was awesome. Yeah. Everybody raved about them, right? So we got in a little tip. So we, we said we were going to have a competition. And then, okay, I'm like, well, how do you, who, who do you want to judge, right? So he picked Eric Guttermerson first. I said, dude, like, you're in his back pocket. You work together. That's Thanks, Randy. Yeah. Thanks, right? Randy. <laughs> right, yeah, just telling you how it is, right? I know. Glad I found that out. <laughs> right? So then so then he goes, well, what about William Cooper? Not yeah, William. Okay. William's a – you were his next choice. Okay. Listen, I, I, I'd rather have been comfortable with his choice because I, I didn't want him to say if I win. I set it up. But he picked Will. I'm, like, I'm totally good with Will. First off, we know – Coop loves a lot of unhealthy food, right. right? He's out there much a lot. I'm all right with it. I'll take that. So we started <laughs> talking about how we were going to do it, the parameters, and it was in our, our smoking virtual lounge, which Sean is like the ambassador because he just leaves his computer on in that lounge 24 hours a day. So he's always in that lounge, right? You can literally stop in. It, it's it's a, Sometimes at 3 in the morning, it could be just a picture of his garage, but he's in the lounge and he's in bed. But Sean's like, well, can I get in on this? Yeah, sure. Why not? So I'm actually making a trophy, the Great American Jerk-Off. I'm working on but The winner will get a trophy. And I think next year, Coop, that you figure out a way that we can involve some people, maybe get maybe 20 contestants or something, and, and, and we kind of make this a big annual thing, and I'll make a trophy every year. We'll yeah. Fund, and we'll do the Great American Jerk-Off. Yeah, I kind of like it, too. And then, like, if you have the studio ready next year, you know, we can probably oh, go down there and, you know. Live, live tastings, yes. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think, you know, we could do – there's a lot of possibilities with it. I, I was intrigued by the whole idea, too. The name – the name is cool, actually. I'm cool with the name. So, uh, <laughs> so, so I just told the guys, I said, get me that final date because I want to – here's the date. So just get me the final date so I know folks can make it. And uh, then we'll, we'll – like I told them, after that, we'll – We'll have a whole show on that. I think it'll be a lot of fun. We'll uh, have turkey, smoke cigars. Yeah. All the mm-hmm. final product is already en route to Coop. And yep. basically the format was we all picked one singular jerky that we would all make the same. We, yeah. all, made, we all made a mango habanero jerky. Ooh. Oh, wow. Okay. And then we all got to throw in one of our specialty jerkies as, as a side one. So mm. those are all on his way to Coop. And uh, wait, hold on. Oh, yeah. He's got the, uh, he's even got his own, uh, signature. Hold on, check this out. See, he unlike the other his. guy, unlike the other guys, I got pizzazz. Oh, wait, I gotta get behind it. I can't show up there. there, there oh, that is, that is cool. Look at, oh, the game, game is, bar's been raised, guys. Mm-hmm. There it is, there it is. I got it. By the way, Abe, I have had Randy's jerky once before. It is very good. So the competition, is I'm sure, and I, so I'm sure Sean is as well. There's going to be some I, really good competition here. I'll be the first to say, from what I've learned by talking with them, 
I am by far the least experienced Georgia that does, manager. That doesn't. I mean, Saka entered a meatball competition, and never made a meatball in his life in one. So. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I mean, which is honestly not a bad right. thing to say. I'm the least experienced jerk master. Right. <laughs> Casey, Just Casey, Casey is very excited. He said, "I can't wait for the live jerk off." Right. <laughs> the possibilities are endless, Casey. Right. Oh, wait. Listen, too. Wait till we start making the shirts. Oh. Right. I'll buy one of those. <laughs> well coop thank you uh thank you for calling in we're looking forward to that hey just one other quick question are you getting during this whole thing when you're stuck inside are you getting fast food at all because it seems it seems based on your facebook post that that's all you eat most of the time so I, no that's not true but i did have fast food for the first time probably in a long time on thursday night because we, we did our show a little earlier uh and uh, my son ordered a McDonald's uh, delivery at like 11 o'clock at night because we got done earlier. So and I was starving. So I did have a Mc- we did have a McDonald's delivery at 11 last Thursday night. Wow. All right. <laughs> but no, no, not as much. No, I've been a little cautious even about. Do- we try to like basically support some of the local restaurants. Um, Good man. But, I'm tra- mm-hmm. but at the same time, we don't want to overdo it eating eating out either. So yeah. All right. Well, Coop, 100%. thanks for thanks for calling in and. Uh, Check out the scoop with Coop. We'll post, uh, you know, a bunch of his other information as well that he provides us with on the website. And uh, yeah, we'll see what fun new room he calls us from next week. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. I think I'm running out here, so <laughs> want take. Absolutely. Right. Uh, take care, uh, so Juan, what do you got planned for the rest of the afternoon? Two kids. Uh, I don't know. Figure it out, man. Play around and. Uh... Clean the house, probably. <laughs> now, now, Juan, are you a beef jerky connoisseur? Actually, not at all. I, I first tried beef jerky last year. I've never had it in my life. And I, I went out and my, my wife was doing a special, it was like a whole 30 food regime or something like that. And she sent me out to buy some of those. It was interesting, huh? It was interesting. Is it, is it not a big thing in Nicaragua or? Beef oh, wow. jerky, beef jerky has a serious culture. I mean, like a serious hardcore culture. There are like jerky fanatics. There's t- and and honestly, gourmet jerkies in the last two three years have been a hugely up and coming thing. You know, filet mignon jerky and what and and honestly, other game jerky, right? So I hey, pretty much buffalo buffalo beef jerky. Yeah, I, I I pretty much have stuck with beef. I haven't experimented too much in other meats and games, but um, I've always liked jerky and the stuff that I, look the stuff I made at home. When you fa- I mean, jerky is a very expensive thing to buy, right? I mean, a little two and a half ounce package is typically anywhere from six to eight bucks. So and that's not for anything like premium. So making it home, and I got I you got two kids, I got four. So I mean, I got like a mini locust farm in my house. So buying stuff like that is not practical. So that's really why I started making it home because all my kids love jerky. But the quality is so much better. It's so much fresher because you're controlling the ingredients. There's no real preservatives in there because it doesn't got to last that long because it disappears so fast. So um, when next time you're in town, we're going to get you a batch of American-made quality jerky. You could try it. By the way, I was in the, uh, the, the Great Smoke in February. Actually, that was my last uh, coming down uh, before mm. – it was a great event, man. I was there. I, I hadn't been in a while, but it was a fantastic event, man. My my, my respects to you. It was a, Thank it was you. A fun event. Thank you. 
Thank you. It, it, uh, we're very proud of that event. It's probably one of the fastest growing events. A lot, a lot of the events who have been a, a lot around longer than us have either re- met their capacity or, you know, they've kind of peaked out and our event just continues to blow up every year. And, uh, we got very fortunate with being able to even have it this year. Yes. You were the last vendor event. Really? I mean, cause everything went to crap right after that, shortly after that event. And, uh, we can only pray that the world normalizes a little bit so we can have it in 2021. That's all we're hoping for. I mean, we're in May. we got about two or three months before we really would end up start working on it again. If, if Adam just cringed. <laughs> just a little bit. Just a little bit. That's all we can do. <laughs> uh, but, uh, Juan, thank you for being here today. It's been an absolute pleasure, sir. Uh, yes. Thank you for everything. Um, it has been an honor to hear about your family history, your legacy, and uh, thank you for participating in the KMA Talk Radio Face uh, Contest and for giving up that great book that is going to be autographed by your father and you, which is probably a one-of-a-kind item that somebody can win when they sign up for the KMA Talk Radio uh, email list. So, hey, make sure you go to KMA Talk Radio, sign up for that, and we are honored and privileged to thank you once again for being that. Uh, next week, we're going to talk to Rafael Nodal from Altus USA and Aging Room Cigars. Uh, I'm sure he's got a lot of fun stuff to say. And he's probably, not to mention, he's probably going to be well-dressed. He's probably going to be better dressed than anybody we've had on. No, 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 no. Raphael, I mean, you're, you're not so, you're, you're, you have zero presence on social media. Yeah, he's been oh, all over social media. Raphael has been extremely uh, active on social media since this quarantine started. He's did a show. He's doing interviews. Virtual stuff. He's pretty laid back in his dress. He ain't suited. This is not a live appearance. He's pretty casual. Oh, so he's quarantine. He's going quarantine casual. Yeah. He's going quarantine casual. He's been quarantine casual lately, yes. Ah, uh, there's a new there's a new phrase we can add to the uh, words we've had to learn uh, in this time of pandemic: quarantine casual. Uh, Juan, once again, thank you very much for being here. Great pleasure. Anytime. Looking forward to seeing you in person, hopefully soon, guys. Take care. Absolutely. Stay. Be strong, man. Absolutely. Uh, for everybody out there, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's show. If you missed any part of it, check it out on the YouTube, on the Facebook, uh, and yes, there will be a jerk off coming soon. Hopefully, where you can, we'll have details on that later. Uh, until then, <laughs> as always, keep it lit.